Hear the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. If you're using a worship center Bible, please turn to page 982. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, my name is Casey, and I'm the uh, new pastor here, as Ken said, pastor of Connection and Care. And so I'm glad to be with you all today, exciting to open the word with you. Um, this, is, uh, this is all new to me. Kelsey and I, and we have five children, are here. But it's also not new. We've actually been uh, here at Mustard Seed for the last, I don't know, three or four years. Our oldest, who's now in first grade, Caleb, attended. Christopher, who's in kindergarten. And Karis uh, is attending right now. And so I feel like now I get to actually meet the people here on Sunday when I've been around so many days uh, during the week. So thanks for welcoming me and my family so well. Pastor David asked me to uh, complete the sermon series, Then the Glory. And uh, obviously this, this series comes from Isaiah 40, which says these three things. Comfort, comfort my people, prepare the way, and then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And so I'm going to start by asking a question, what does the glory of God actually mean? What does that, what does that mean? Well, there, there are two meanings. One is, it's the sum of all his attributes. Basically saying, God is amazing. And he, is, he brings glory. And uh, it, another person called it the sparkling of his deity. Right? He is so wonderful. John Piper says that it's the infinite beauty and greatness of God. That is God's glory. So that's one side of his glory. The other side of his glory actually involves us. And this is glory ascribed to God by what his creatures bring to him in worship. And so we are actually bringing glory to him. And there's this dynamic of God and us uh, and his glory because we're image bearers of God. We are made to worship him. That's why we are created. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this. What is the chief end of man? What is our purpose in life? Uh, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Right? Romans 11.36, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory. 1 Corinthians 10, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You get the picture. We're here to glorify Him. And why? Well, Revelation 4 says, It's because He's worthy. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. Now, 
Is God insecure? Does he need affirmation every minute on the minute? No. He doesn't need our affirmation. He doesn't need our glory. But he's worth it, right? He is that glorious, that beautiful. He deserves our praise. And it's good for us to praise him. Now, I chose this passage today in Philippians chapter 4 uh, for a couple reasons. One, Paul is, is teaching in a beautiful way the Philippian church about contentment. He talks uh, about how it is good to be content. And, and that contentment actually glorifies the Lord. And so Philippians 4 is a beautiful chapter in that way. But secondly, it's also the chapter in the entire Bible that brought me to know Jesus. Reading Philippians 4 helped me realize my need. And also my, my need was actually Jesus. And so it's this beautiful chapter that I, I'm hoping to share with you and also share a little bit of myself as well as you get to know me. So let's pray and ask the Lord um, for his blessing. Father, you say that your word never returns void. I, I pray that you would enlighten us with your words. Speak through me, Lord, and Holy Spirit, fill our hearts that we may be changed for your glory and the praise of your name. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So it was when I got everything I wanted, everything I thought I needed to be content and happy and satisfied, it was then that I realized that I was not content. I was not satisfied. I was not happy at all. See, I grew up in the good neighbor city of Middleton, Wisconsin. Uh, and uh, I grew up with uh, loving parents. Mom and dad lived together. I had an older sister, a younger brother. And it was this great upbringing where I wasn't in poverty, but I wasn't in excess. I, I lived in a world that, where I was loved, where I was cared for. I uh, had enough food to eat. I had uh, enough hugs uh, to go out about my day, and I enjoyed life. I struggled with anxiety. That's a part of my story, my testimony, is anxiety was real to me. I felt this burden of anxiousness most of the time. And so I tried to fill that anxiousness and try to push it away um, by achieving things, right? Trying to live my life to build glory around myself so I could feel better about myself. So I used sports. I used school as a way to, to make myself feel better about the situation I was in. Same thing was in college. Uh, I, I tried to get recognition, recognition through the glory that I felt I needed uh, to be okay. And I spent four years uh, doing that in college, building up my own glory, establishing myself, striving for more and more, and use football as that means. And, and sure enough, uh, football opened up doors for me. I was drafted in the seventh round by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it was great. I remember the moment I was sitting there watching ESPN and you see your name across the ticker and I'm thinking, man, I have finally made it. Finally, I will be content and satisfied with my life because I've achieved something that I've always wanted to achieve. And so I'm just, just gloriously grazing in this, this beautiful moment. I get a phone call and it's John Gruden, right? He's the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the time. And he says, Casey, looking forward to seeing you on Thursday. And I hang up and I was like, great. Oh, crud. All this achievement and things that I was trying to do, I now, all that has, has been wiped clean and now I have to start over. Because I now have to go try out for a team. I haven't made the team yet. Here we go again. And that anxiety that I tried to get rid of for so long had now come back. That discontentment that I tried to push away through so many things of this world was now back. And it was even heavier. See, the, the truth was I was trying to seek my own glory. Seek my own contentment. 
But the problem is that we can't satisfy ourselves in this world, through the world. The more we strive, the more discontented we are. The more we seek, the more unsatisfying this world really is. And that's because God created us in his image to glorify him. And yet because of the sin, because of the fall that happened, we can't do that well. We don't glorify him the way we should. Francis Schaeffer talks to this dichotomy. He says, we're glorious because we are created by God for the noble purposes of being his image bearers. Yet we are ruins because sin has marred the divine image that we were designed to display. We're created for good, but we don't do what we should. We are glorious ruins. And so this fits into the text here where Paul is saying in this passage, hey, guess what? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's, in fact, it's not even about the Philippian church. What he's saying is it's about God's glory. And our contentment in this world doesn't come from our circumstances. The things of the world aren't the answer. Paul doesn't get his strengths and his needs met by this world. God provides all of God's needs through his son, Jesus. And because Jesus gives us contentment, we're to glorify God in response. Now, I want to explain some of the definition of contentment. What does that mean? It means to be happy or satisfied. And we can only find this happiness, this satisfaction in the Lord. And it's only there that we can truly glorify God. And so how do we find contentment that glorifies God? I'll talk about three things today. One, we can find contentment in all circumstances through his church and find contentment that glorifies God in his son's glorious riches. So let's first talk about finding contentment in all circumstances. Well, Paul explains his contentment to the Philippian church. He he gets right down into it in verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul's saying, hey, thank you for the gift, Philippian church, but, but no thanks, I got it. And you might be thinking, all right, maybe you've ever been, you've been in a circumstance where you've given a gift and the person says, thanks, but you shouldn't here and gives it back. You know, Paul's not doing that. He's not saying, hey, I'll accept your gift, but I don't need it. What he's saying is, hey, I'll accept your gift, but whether I get a gift or not, my contentment is outside of my needs. And so I know Paul is, is a holy man. I, have, I struggle with this. I struggle with being in situations of need. You know, for me, when I'm in need, when I don't have something I feel like I should have or that I really, uh, I really need to function well, that's when the, the hairline fractures of my character come out and I get ugly. I mean, if you don't believe me, ask my wife. She, she went home, so you can't ask her today. You'll have to wait till next week. Uh, but there are so many situations where our need is shown, whether it's financial needs, where we're not able to pay the bills or we can't live the lifestyle we're accustomed to or we're working too much to pay them. If there's relational need where your, your best friend trolls you on social media and you're like, what just happened? What did I do? You're estranged from your family. You haven't been able to call your parents in years or maybe you're not able to call your parents anymore. And this relational need that you have can no longer be met. There's physical needs where our bodies are breaking down because of the fall. Our spiritual needs where we maybe haven't experienced the love of God for years. And we walked in here today, felt like we were going through the motions, just wondering, will I taste that love that I once experienced earlier in my life? Or maybe you're here at this church for the first time going, I don't know why I'm here. I I don't know about this whole God thing, but for some reason I'm just sitting here because I think there's something more out there that I'm searching for. 
In any time of adversity, things can be overwhelming if we allow our state of need to dictate our satisfaction. If we are trying to find our security and our contentment in in the, the needs of this world, it won't happen. But it's not just times of need that breed discontentment. It's also times of plenty, right? Paul talks about this. Abundance as well. Facing plenty. He's still not putting his contentment in that. Think of King Solomon for a second. He's the son of King David and Bathsheba. He's the richest king of all time. His wisdom is spoken about throughout the entire world. His wealth is beyond imagination. And and no man before him or since him has had that glory of the kingship that he possessed. But was he content? In Ecclesiastes, he says this, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all with them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which water to water the forest and the growing trees. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces and the, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great. And surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward. Then I considered all that my hands had done. And the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was all vanity. And striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon had everything. And he was not satisfied. See, contentment isn't given when you have the whole world. And it's not given when you seek things when you have nothing. Contentment is different. And Paul teaches this us that contentment is independent of circumstances because his contentment is dependent solely on Christ. And Paul can do everything God assigns to him uh, because it's Christ who gives him the strength outside of these circumstances. And his ro- the roller coaster of life that he lives and that we all live is not affected. Why? Because there's an equilibrium of God that keeps us centered through Jesus. Because Christ is the source of joy. Christ is his source of strength. And he says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Christ gives us the ability to withstand life's storms. Uh, Famous author Thomas Watson says this, A contented Christian is like Noah in the ark. Though the ark was tossed with waves, Noah could sit and sing in the ark. The soul that is gotten into the ark of contentment sits quiet and sails above all the waves of trouble. He can sing in his spiritual ark. Do you want to sail with Noah in that heart of contentment? Do you feel like you need that with all that's going on in your life? If so, how do we access that glory, right? How do we access that contentment that he talks about so easily? Well, the Apostle Paul didn't say, well, I've heard, I, ha- I heard that you could be content, so I should be content. No, he's not saying that. He said, I have learned to be content in whatever situations. Contentment is learned. It's a process. It takes time. It takes, takes practice. Watson further says, a person may know much of Christ and yet not learn Christ. The devils knew Christ. A person may preach Christ and yet not learn Christ as Judas did in the false prophets. 
A man may profess Christ and yet not learn Christ. Why? Because we need the contentment of Christ to be changed by him. And it only comes through Jesus. It's one thing to eat, right? Especially for those of you who are college students. It's one thing to eat. It's another thing to prepare the food. Some of you who are at school for the first time going, man, I didn't know how to do this. Ramen noodles never uh, was so tough in my life. But Paul was a practitioner. He did what he preached. And he learned contentment regardless of circumstances. So how do we learn this contentment in Christ? Well, there are two ways that Paul talks about. One is generosity. Obviously, he talks to the Philippian church and says, thank you for your generosity. It is doing so much in my life and in, in the Christian gospel that's going forth. And secondly, he talks about gratitude. See, earlier in the chapter, uh, he talks about praying with thankfulness and how important that is to set our minds right and content. And so we learn gratitude to pray with thankful hearts. There's a... Um, Story I need to share about my kids. We, my oldest is, went to first grade about a week earlier than the other kids did. And, and we try to take our kids to spend a little special time. So we do a little one-on-one at Sweet Cece's, which is the best place in the world for the kids. Uh, and so we take them there. My wife and I have one-on-one time with them. And, and so Caleb gets to go. And then the next week, Christopher was starting kindergarten. So we take him and it's wonderful. And then my daughter, Karis, starts in mustard seed. So we take her as well. And as soon as the boys come home from school, Karis tells them, guess where I went? I went to Sweet Cece's and I had strawberry tart and I had these little sparkles. They were so beautiful. Da, 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 da. And she goes off. And my, my, my sons, I thought we we're going to say, hey, that's awesome. We did too. My sons started bawling. No, that's unfair. Why did she get to go to Sweet Cece's? And I was like, well, wait, you, you just went last week. Why are you crying? And, and for some reason, they weren't grateful at all that we had brought them to the same place. So I think, okay, maybe I can make this even. Okay, uh, well, boys, you know that you go to school and you get chocolate milk at school. Karis doesn't even get chocolate milk, so you should be happy. So then, to which Karis starts crying, going, I want chocolate milk! Why didn't I get chocolate milk? And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, okay, these three kids are screaming, then our young newborn starts crying, and I'm just like, oh my gosh! What do you do as a parent? Well, you do what every parent does. You send them to their rooms. And I say, you're not coming out till you can tell me five things that you're thankful for. And so I, I sent him away, and, and I thought that would make things better. Uh, Kristen Welch says in her book, Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World, she says, when entitlement's poison begins to infect our hearts, only gratitude is the antidote. Antidote. And the other problem is, is if I could just blame my kids for the, or the younger generation for their lack of gratefulness. She then writes, entitlement didn't start with my kids, it, be, it began with me. And so the reality is, even this whole week as I'm preaching about contentment and preparing, I'm looking at my life going, man, I am so discontented with so many things. And yet, the Apostle Paul calls us to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So for us to be made like Christ, to be made more holy and more like our divine Savior, he actually requires us to learn contentment, to find ways through generosity and gratitude to be more content, to see his goodness through the things that we have already. A contented Christian, this is what I I carry with me, a contented Christian carries heaven with him. We have that access through contentment. So we're in this process of learning to be content. But the second aspect of this is we can find contentment through his church. Now, Paul is content in all circumstances, 
But he doesn't end there. He doesn't say, hey, thanks for the gift. I don't need it. Period. End of letter. He says this in verse 14. Yet, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Right? And in verse 15, he affirms their church for partnering with him in the giving and receiving. So he's saying, yes, I don't need your gifts. Yet, it was good for you to give them. And the partnering of the gospel of giving and receiving is so important for us. And so we, too, participate in sharing and giving and receiving of God's gifts to us through the local church. We are all here through aspects of that. Now, how do we do this? Well, two aspects, uh, care and community. Now, both of those things are what I'm uh, hired to help with here. But you all do that so well. It is caring for one another and joining in with community. So first, care. When we're content with the Lord we actually become more caring. When we don't focus in on ourselves, we actually become more caring to the people around us. We're more aware. We empathize better the more aware we are of others' needs. Well, we serve others no matter what our circumstances are. We we give time when we may not have it. We give effort when we may not feel we have the strength. I've seen that. I've experienced your love and your care for me and my family where I've met with the diaconate, I've met with the elders, I've met with so many different families in this church that have loved me and my wife and our kids so well. And it's beautiful because you experience that gospel and you experience the contentment that God promises in community. Contentment is not just an individual thing. It's a communal thing. We're required, God's word says, to love one another and spur one another on towards love and good deeds and not to give up on meeting together but to encourage each other all the more. We're uh, encouraged by God's word to actually spend time listening to the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments, the passing of the peace. There's an element of that that is so crucial for our growing in contentment and love of God, experiencing his love. So we get together to partner in care and community to learn that contentment because God will meet our needs. There's a verse that I love uh, in 2 Corinthians 9, and it says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And left to that, it's like, well, man, I just got to strap up the bootstraps and, and go hard so I can be blessed if I bless other people. But the reality is, you look at the very next verse, it says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So it's that we are supposed to care in community, but just when you think it's about your strength, he's saying, no, 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 no. You have a God that cares for you and gives you the ability at all times, in all places, and all sufficiency to care for the needs of others because he is caring for you. If you believe God makes grace abound to you in your life, you will be sufficiently changed to care for others. You can show hospitality when you might not want to. You can go out of your way to say hello. Because it's not just an individual level, it's a communal level as we encourage one another on towards that. It's an overflow of the love that we've received. Now, a couple days ago, I, was, uh, I got home and uh, I noticed that there was water standing in our sink. And the garbage disposal had uh, gotten clogged. And I did the manly thing. I started pulling off pipes and seeing what I could do. And it wasn't working. And it took a while. And anyways, I forgot about it. And I started the dishwasher. Now, for those of you that know how that works, the dishwasher feeds into the drain in the sink. 
And so I was over in the other room, and all of a sudden I hear some water, and I run into the kitchen and go, oh, my goodness, what's happening? So I have this dual sink, and one of, it, one of the sides had filled up all the way to the top. And while it had, could have come over onto the, uh, the floor, onto the uh, countertops and things like that, what happened was, since it was a dual sink, it poured over into the other side, which the drain worked fine on that side. And so I got to see this overflow in one area naturally flowed over into other areas. And that's how we are with our love of God in us. When we realize that we are sufficiently watered, we can then pour out to other people. I saw the Franklin Classic as a beautiful way to, to see the way you all have poured into the community. And I know that that race would not have been the same had there not been a presence of Christ's community there. So um, we're learning contentment by the giving and receiving in community. One last illustration I want to give you in this is um, a couple weeks ago I came with my daughter Catherine, our fourth, and, and she filled up her diaper. No easier way to put it. And so I did what every good starting pastor would do. I took that diaper and it stunk and I put it in Pastor Charles' uh, office <laughs> behind his chair. And, uh, and I didn't hear from him for a while and I forgot about it. Later that night I was like, man... Well, I wonder whatever happened. So I sent him a text and said, hey, did you notice anything different about your, your uh, office? And he, he responded and let me know that he met with a, a person that afternoon for about an hour. And he was convinced that, sh- that that person stunk. To which I replied, well, if you thought that person stunk, I wonder what they thought about you. I mean... And that's the giving and receiving. Later, uh, the next day, later in the day, I came back to my office and I noticed that my office smelled kind of funny. And that same gift that I had given him, I had received and it had stayed in the office all night and all day in the heat. Why do I tell you that? Not to gross you out, but to remind you that there is a giving and receiving that is that really happens. And obviously, our hope is that our gifts that we give are better than the ones that I gave Pastor Charles. But yet, they, they, they feel a need. And I also was, a lady passed me a note last service and said, hey, look at verse 18. It talks about a fragrant offering. Maybe that's another example. But I won't go there. I said, I won't say that. That's just inappropriate. <clears throat> so we, we find contentment in all circumstances through Christ. We're encouraged to partner with one another in this contentment. And lastly, uh, we're, we find contentment in the Son's glorious riches. Now, verse 19 of this passage is the most powerful verse. So I don't want us to miss it. I'm going to read it again to you. It says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, there's one word I want to camp out on for a second, and it's the word supply. To the Greek, the Greek word, it means to fill up. Literally means to fill up. And so Paul is asking and answering four questions in this sentence. The first question is, what are your needs? Right? You think about that. What do you actually need? We took a time of confession to think through the things we need to confess. But what is it we actually need? And I brought this jar up as, as kind of a way to say, okay, let's say this jar represents my needs. Maybe you have a jar too represents your needs. And you, you set it out and say, okay, what, what are my needs? Well, I could fit some personal needs in there, some family needs, some some current needs, some future needs, maybe need of more time or uh, some financial needs. If I had a whole list, I could write them all down, but it wouldn't be enough, right? There are more needs that we don't even know about. 
And the farther I walk in my Christian life, the more I see my jar increasing in size. That I don't have my act together. I don't have it together as much as I want you to believe that I do. I'm a mess. I'm a broken mess. My jar keeps getting bigger and bigger the more the Lord reveals to me. And my story is that I tried to fill up that jar with other things. I tried football. I tried academics. I tried, you know, relationships. All these things that I thought would fill me up. But the next morning, as soon as I had spent the entire day filling up my jar, I'd come back and realize it's only to be empty again. And I'd have to spend the the whole next day trying to fill it up. It was impossible. But Paul says that all of our needs will be taken care of. Second question. Who will fill these jars, right? If we all have needs, who's going to fill these jars? Well, Paul answers. He says, my God will supply every need of yours. Now, it's interesting. No other name could Paul say to make sense, right? It would be, it'd be silly for him to say any other name than my God. Because no one could, A, know the needs of all of us in this room, much less fill the needs and supply them. God is a God of providence. The psalmist writes, those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Jesus says, if God feeds the bird of the air, how much more will he feed you? If he clothes the lilies of the field, how much more will he clothe you? He knows what you need and he will fill up your need and he will supply it. Third question. By what means will God meet your needs? Well, it says right here, according to his riches in glory. God is not a stingy God. He's not a penny pincher. He's not trying to figure out what he can do to get by, to care for you. He is giving you his riches in glory. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now here's what's neat, is that it doesn't say he gives out of his riches. He uses the term according to his riches. Now there's a difference. Imagine Bill Gates comes over to your house you're one of the wealthiest people in the world. And he says, hey, I want to give you some money. What would you say? Yeah. Some of you might even go get a backpack or maybe a, a trash bag and say, all right, let's go. Come on. Fill it up. Uh, but instead, he pulls out his, his wallet and he hands you a $5 bill. Says, here you go. I'm giving out of my riches. Now, you'd probably be disappointed. But out of his riches means he's giving you some of his riches. But what Paul's saying here is he gives according to his riches. Whole new ball game. What that means is for Bill Gates to give according to his riches is not just to give a portion, but to give a proportion of it. A segment of it. To say, hey, you know what? Here are the keys to my house. Uh, here are my bank account numbers and the codes. And you know what? Here's my personal credit card. Go have fun. Now that's giving according to his riches. Christ is not giving us a portion of his riches. He's giving us so much more. He's giving us a proportion of his riches. We actually share in his inheritance as a child of God. God will meet your needs according to his glorious riches. Fourth question. How will God supply? He answers it here in this verse. You know what he says? Christ Jesus will. Christ Jesus will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches because of Jesus. There's no greater object of glory that we've seen and experienced. Talk about glory. The most glorious thing this world has ever seen has been the person and the work of Jesus because God condescended himself. He took himself and brought him to us. 
in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus our Savior. Jesus himself tells the woman at the well that he is the source that we all need. John chapter 4 says this, Jesus, Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If you are in Christ today, you have access to an eternal spring welling up inside of you, always flowing, always